Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, Dave Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. Every episode we do around demand generation and around driving growth. Today, we're talking about a strategic topic, and I've invited a guest back onto the program. But what we're going to talk about is defining a new product category, when to do it, when not to do it, different types of product categorization. And I'll give you guys a little history into my first uh, foray into this topic, which took place many, many years ago. Back on the program is Morali Namani. He's the chief marketing officer at Science Logic, And for those of you that listen to the program uh, regularly, gosh, it was about two and a half years ago, maybe two years ago, we were talking about putting on virtual events because you know what was going on back then. And you oh, guys yeah. were planning your your annual conference and big curveball called COVID came in and you guys pivoted really quickly to take the thing and, and do it virtually. And it turned out to be a great success. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... That was nobody had an idea that it was going to last two and a half years. I'll, I'll no, tell you that. <laughs> I think we were thinking a couple months back then yeah. how naive yeah. we are. We we pivoted and we made it successful. It became a hybrid event and yeah. it became an all virtual event. Um, and we we uh, we were stunned that it actually uh, did so well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually seeing people again. Yeah. And the, and the silver lining of that whole experience because there are so many silver, there's always a silver lining in yes. everything that happens in life, good or bad. And that was to do a hybrid event going forward because you were able to really expand the audience by by covering both in person and, and virtual. So I asked you when we when we uh, got together a couple of weeks ago and I said, what do you want to talk about? And you say, you know, Dave, I want to talk about product categorization. And I guess the context that I want to give is why is that top of mind for you right now before we dive in? Yeah, um, I, 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 so, a lot of the organization, let's say that I've organizations that I've worked for, um, it's it's built around, you know, especially if you think about Silicon Valley and where we are, we try to create um, technologies that are fundamentally um, question the status quo, question the way things are have operated, and and think about a world in a different way, right? And so for me, it was always um, this notion of how can you apply technology in a in a disruptive sort of a technology state to create a market narrative that ultimately can create uh, and reframe let's say the way that your product is thought of and the problems that it solves um, so so categorization to me is um, you know is it could be a derivative of an existing line of products and creating something that is a net new function or a net new capability that doesn't exist in the market or doesn't hasn't isn't sold that way but it can also be something that is just just holistically new um, in the way that, uh, a particular problem statement is looked at and approached and subsequently the way you think about those solutions in response to it. Yeah. The first time, maybe we'll storytell a little bit. The first time that I ever had to, as a marketer, think about this was in the early part of my career. And it was, this was in, I think it was a, probably 1992 or 1993. So as you know, I, I started my career at Microsoft right after college. 
and I was nice and young and didn't know anything. Uh, I was going to say, except what they taught me in school, which means I really didn't know anything, but I memorized a bunch of stuff. Uh, and so I am now the director of marketing, later became the VP of marketing. And when I started at Microsoft, we had the Microsoft office, um, but it wasn't called that then because it wasn't a, a bundle. It was individual applications. So my first exposure to a category, well, you know, I was in the U.S. sales and marketing division. We would go out and say that Windows was a graphical user interface. So that's what the unique position was, is that there was a user interface primarily called DOS. That's what everybody right. knew right. before the Macintosh. And so a graphical user interface was the difference between what was and what was new. And Microsoft would have to explain that a graphical user interface was more intuitive that a graphical user interface and still today i'm looking at the software using file edit view is the first three menus in every single windows application and we talked about the ease of the learning curve and the consistency where you didn't have to learn the nuances of every different application from a to z where at least a windows-based application a graphical user interface had consistency across them and I didn't realize at the time that that's what Microsoft was doing, was defining a new category. Of course, later on in my career, I can look back and I can see what those changes were. So for me, when I, as I was going before, when I became the director of marketing at a company called Fairlawn and had to start bringing products to market, I had to ask ourselves, the product managers and product marketing team, is this a new product within our product family, within our product line? Is this a new version? of a yeah. product, or is this an entirely new product category altogether? And we would have these conversations. And it turned out, really, I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, Barbara Tien was on our team and her dad was Al Reese or is yeah. Al Reese. Yeah, yeah. And so she said in a meeting, she goes, have you ever read my dad's book? And I go, <laughs> who's your dad and what's the book? And she goes, my dad's Al Reese. And I go, Al Reese and Jack Trotta, no, I'm familiar with some of the books. And she goes, let me bring you something. So she brought me the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing the next day to the office, signed copy, which I still have. And law number one was, you know, uh, define, a, uh, be first in your category. Right. Have the number one product. And then if you couldn't be, uh, be first actually was the law, be first. So you could be, define the category. And then if you couldn't be first, I believe it was number two law was define a new category that you could be first in. Right. And I remember the the stories from that book where they said, and I'll ask this to you, you probably know all the answers though. So who was the first person to fly across the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah. Remember who Amelia that was? Earhart? Amelia Earhart? No, I, she was the second. Second. But okay. she was the first woman. So okay. it first. whatever whatever someone gives you an answer is great. They'll just say Charles Lindbergh, or Amelia Earhart. Yes, and the reason right. both names are so memorable is for the exact point that we're trying to make, which is first in the category was Charles Lindbergh. He was the first person to fly across the Atlantic, but she was the first woman. Mm. And, and so that lesson really stuck in the book that there was Coke, which was, you know, not actually the first cola, but the first <laughs> known cola, uh, just like the iPhone was not the first smartphone, but it's really as we, most of us consider the first smartphone. Right. But then there was, you know, there's Diet Coke. Is that line extension a new category? But 7-Up was clearly 
a new category. It was first uncola, right? Yes. There was a cola and there was yes. the first uncola. So what are your, you know, you said this was a, a, a topic and a passion of yours. How have you approached it? Because I can give countless stories about products that I've brought to market and gone through that discussion of whether it's line extension, which is like, you know, Coke and Diet Coke, right. uh, or really defining a, a brand new category. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I was reading Frank Slotman's book, um, yeah. Amp It Up, and, um, and, and he, it was interesting, he, you know, he has this particular view that he's like, it's really hard to create new categories. If you don't have to, don't try it, because it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. And because expensive, you really have to yeah. Put in tremendous blood, sweat and tears into establishing something that the industry doesn't, you know, necessarily recognize. Um, so in one sense, going after an established category and trying to position yourself and differentiate yourself um, makes a lot of sense because you can just talk about because the market knows what that category is. They know what the value of that category is. And what they're basically saying is, hey, is there a better way to do that yeah. with a new widget or right. a new way, new technology that can fundamentally solve that problem with, let's say, fat, better, faster, cheaper type of a thing, but in orders of magnitude better. Um, that's kind of your line of sight kind of model, right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because that is companies like Frank Slotman's successful, whether it's data domain, whether it's, uh, um, you know, um, uh, Snowflake, they're doing it in spades and being really successful at it, right? Yeah, totally. But then there is, but then you have to look at, you know, when I like, I think of new category is, I basically look at market forces and the market forces are saying, okay, these ecosystems are fundamentally changing. What was defined as, hey, this is, ecosystem X and ecosystem Y, you know, if you look at the Gartner sort of breakdown of market yeah. segments, they clearly define these ecosystems. And then they say, okay, you're in this, you know, this particular market segment and that market segment. And that is, and when you're staying within those boundaries, then you are in essence, not creating new categories, but you're essentially going after and trying to do a better job of that category. Yeah. But the moment those ecosystems start converging, and in my world, it's kind of like this movement of, you know, DevSecOps, which you might have heard, where initially you had the IT operations domain, you have the developer domain, and you have the security domain, right? And those were pretty complex, pretty well built out. And there you have network operations and all of this. And you have, and this is a classic enterprise, yep. right? And these are well-established domains. And each one of them within sub-segment of it has particular categories. But when those in the modern world of how, let's say, in the modern enterprise, the way services are created, applications are developed, you know, the way you deliver better customer experiences, better employee experiences, these are things that traverse those domains. There's no demarcations as in the old world where you said, hey, you're IT operations, you're a back office function that, you know, you just need to optimize and maintain and upgrade and make resilient my operations. And these are developers, they create the new apps and these are security people and they make sure nobody hacks into it, right? And those worlds are gone. Like yeah. there's a there's a whole motion of how new services are created yep. that integrate all those functions together, right? And they're like a release cycle that into that fundamentally brings that all together as a train that just delivers new applications and new services. So in that environment, the fundamental status quo is challenged, which is 
are you fundamentally buying a developer-centric tool set? Are you buying a security central tool set or an IT operations set, you know, tool set? And the moment those worlds sort of munge together, the requirements change so dramatically that the incumbent forces are actually on the back foot of having the, the dominant position, but are actually trying to pivot themselves in a way that is unnatural to them. And that's your opening, right? And at that point, you have to say, okay, is there a new market narrative around a set of capabilities, requirements, and an operating model mm -hmm. that the world is moving towards mm -hmm. that is much better suited if you approach this particular problem in a different way with a different set of Let's, let's say a technology catalyst that you should be investing in. And that's your entry point where you go, okay, let's go see if we can create a new category yeah. that looks at the world that's as it's going to be versus the world that's as it that's been. You have to you have to remember when you're doing these, uh I was gonna call them exercises or anything but that, like, you know, strategic decisions, you have to think, are we doing it for the customer? Are we doing it for ourselves? Will it help the buying experience or will it hinder the buying experience? We've all been in a, a sales situation where, uh, you know, someone's saying to you, my product is um, really good at whitening your teeth. It <laughs> is a non-abrasive uh, cleaner and it's uh, a product that you, you know, you put in your mouth every single evening. And as you describe it, the person's going, you mean like toothpaste or like, or like Colgate <laughs> because, right. because the human instinct, which because of fight or flight, they you have to be right, and you have you you have an instinct to want to be right. So when you're listening to someone, you're very often comparing what they're saying to something you're familiar with, so you can connect it to that. That's right. And yet, from a sales and marketing perspective, if you really want to differentiate, there's a gas car versus an electric car, and you want to bring that product to market, you want someone to go. So it's a car. Yes, it's a car. However, it doesn't use gasoline. Right. Is it electric car? It's a self-driving car. Oh, so it it's it's a robot. You know, yeah. so and if people are trying to make these comparisons to understand it, and you have to really think about that audience going, when I describe what I'm about to describe to them or position as the very first or the newest or whatever or the the spiciest or the uh lowest calorie uh margarita, you know, whatever you're going to try to take a position of. Will the buyer compare it to what they have, understand it, and go, I want that. I would prefer that over what I have. Because I got to tell you, going back to Microsoft, Merle, nobody wanted to get rid of Lotus 1, 2, 3, or DBase, or WordPerfect. Nobody woke up every morning hating all of that software. And yet we were telling them, throw out your computer, buy a brand new operating system, learn all these new applications. It was not easy. It was very hard. And they were saying, well, I already have a word processor. How is this different? I already have a spreadsheet. How is this different? Yeah, no, that, that is the principal point, which is we can't be, if you sell, if you, and I fall in trap to this, where you think about technology and you think about, and you start looking at the tech, technology and the merits of the technology and start selling based on that. And I think what we fall into the trap is not thinking about the problem statement meaning what problem are we trying to solve? Right. Why is that problem statement either different or materially um, you know, executed on in a different way? So in your analogy of, of cars, electric versus gasoline, at the end of the day, the consumer doesn't care whether it's electric or gasoline. 
for the sake of a this is electric or gasoline what they care is the the implication of one versus the other which is one is a fossil fuel you know fossil burning fuel the other is maybe a renewable energy uh, you know and those kind of things and so now you're saying you're appealing to this idea of we want to change we want to make a change for the way that the humanity sort of lives and exists and subsequently this particular proposition is a uh, as a conduit or a catalyst to getting us to that point. And once that premise is identified and what that and that desired end state is, is created, mm -hmm. then you have the right basis to apply that technology proposition towards. And that is when you no longer are talking about, you know, this is gas or EV. You're talking about what is the, the rationale that you're pursuing. And then subsequently it becomes a no brainer that you go to EV or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's as the world is is gotten as advanced as it is. Yeah, it's very difficult to define a new category because the chances yeah. are there already is something out there in that category. You and I have seen the rise of Martech, uh, yes, and exactly. in the past fifteen years, remember when when the Martech companies were all latching on to the shiny new buzzword or the shiny right. new acronym? Yeah. This is predictive scoring. Yeah. And then everything else all of a sudden had predictive bolted onto it. Right. Then we saw the rise of ABM. Like, yeah. you know, people had to define ABM like, oh, this is an ABM data solution. This is an ABM targeting tool. This is the ABM display advertising tool. So people attach ABM. They're attaching themselves to a category they perceive to be a hot category so that, you know, they can try to ride that wave. And there's, right. there's that categorization of jumping into a category to try to ride it out as so well. So this is the issue, right, where... Um, the risk with creating new categories or writing the latest trending sort of, uh, let's say, vernacular is that it can be a fad or it can be, you know, it can come and go as you wish. And then you've burned a lot of cycles oh, on yeah. something that, that ultimately have produced very little. So the bet you're making when you're doing category creation is you're really betting that there is a true north somewhere that is bigger and bigger than you and really aligned to an entire ecosystem's relevance, right? Yeah. And so you could say ABM is one of those things where you say, hey, there's a this is bigger than one company. This is bigger than a company. Um, this is an industry sort of a push that you want to get towards because it's solving a particular problem around personalization, hyper-personalization, and the way you go to market. So you said that's pretty bold, but then you have to establish a very strong narrative around what that point of view is and as a marketer, your job is to create so much compelling, insightful content. And for me, I always think about it as, especially with disruptive technologies, is you have to create, you have to sort of create a body of work to feed the narrative because it's not good enough to say, hey, my vision says the true north is that, and I'm planting a flag there. But then you got to create this body of work that says, okay, what are the use cases? What are the customer stories around it? What are the architectural blueprints? What's the maturity model look like of how you get there, yeah. right? And what's the fundamental sort of technology components that are required to get there? And those are, and then you have to not only create that, but then you have to get the, what I call influence the influencers campaign going, which is you have to identify who are the thought leaders in this particular space. Yeah. Who are the people who listen so that it's not, hey, Merlin Imani's, point of view and and for and in which case it becomes one company one individual's perspective but rather how do you create what i call this echo chamber effect yeah. which is 
this idea that if you create compelling thought leadership material that's really insightful and deep and meaningful, people grasp onto it and they grasp onto it and then they make it their own idea. And the moment that happens where they've made it their own idea, you then they start socializing it in ways that are their, it's their idea. And now if you do that with enough people who are influencers, these are the people who are respected and yeah. have, have intellectual sort of firepower, they then create this echo chamber effect where it everyone starts socializing those concepts right. in ways that are theirs. And David, the reason why that works is the moment the ecosystem believes that it's their idea and not your idea, you've won. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because then the reference, then the whole, whatever, that whole architectural approach to doing that is built on your core competencies. Right. So you've got a jump on that whole direction. Everyone else is just embracing it and making it their own in their particular way. But then you shine really strong because when you come out and say, look, I can demonstrate this for you. I can now show you why we're purpose-built for that. Why our architecture scales better? Why are we deliver better outcomes? It's because it's built for that mindset, you know, that sort of uh, yeah. perspective. So I think it's very powerful if you if done right, but it's also it requires tremendous fortitude because you have to have the machine, the intellectual horsepower to be really thought provoking, compelling with content. You have to have a content engine that can kind of feed the beast in terms of really compelling narratives. Yeah. And then you have to have the support of your CEO and your sales team. So because you're ahead of the curve yeah. and very, very many times you're, you're, I mean, one time, David, I had my sales team saying to me, why are we talking about this? None of my customers have talked about that. They're not even asking for this. Why are we anchoring our entire corporate message around this? And lo and behold, David, you know, I had the fortune of having a CEO who, who embraced that vision and said, no, 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 we're, we're leading here. This is a leading, leading sort of a mm -hmm. indicator of what's going on. We're, or customers are a lagging indicator in this case. So we're going to lead and yeah. we're going to double down on it. And lo and behold, uh, eight, 12 to 18 months later, the entire ecosystem starts echoing that same concept. Analysts start picking it up. They start doing Forrester waves on it. Gartner's market guides and market magic quadrants, you know, are in the works. And so now it's like, oh my God, everyone else is talking about it. But who's established the thought leadership? Who's got the critical SEO juice? Who's got the most content and you know demonstrate? It's you. So in which case the market all comes back to you and you're seen as the de facto leader. Like you said, it's a, it's a big bet. And it when it's done right, and you're going to hit resistance, which like I said, on other podcasts, we've talked about being an agent of change because sometimes we, that's what you have to be. And you just, you just gotta, just gotta make it happen and, and believe, and you're going to hit resistance. Let's, uh, let's do a little experiment. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll call it a workshop and I'm going to throw out some brand names to you. And you tell me the first thing that comes to mind uh, when I say it to you. And then I want to make some points about maybe why you said the things that you did so we can think about marketing. All right, you ready for the first one? Just the first word that comes to your mind. Clorox. Bleach. Okay, so we'll put bleach on the board. I'm going to do a couple of these. Facebook. Waste of time. Is that oh. one word? <laughs> it, we'll take it. Phrase, word, doesn't matter. Waste of time. Okay. Um, search. Genius. Okay. Google. 
powerhouse. Uh, Xbox. Uh, fun. PlayStation. Racing. Kellogg's. Cereal. Okay. So I hope you guys are playing along. I probably should have prompted you, but your brain probably couldn't help. Let's go back with and start with Clorox. Yeah. And you said bleach. Right. So remember my toothpaste discussion? Yes, exactly. You what can... if I had told you that I was working on this new product and we were coming out with toothpaste and we were going to call it Clorox teeth? Um, you thought of bleach. So like you said, in the mind of the customer, if the word you own and and you know what, I'm going to find the Steve Jobs video. It's a really good one uh, that we'll link to in the show notes below. Watch watch this video here from one of the masters of marketing talk about owning the mind of the customer. But if if Clorox means bleach, then we have ask ourselves, imagine salespeople going, wait a second, we're coming out with toothpaste and we're calling it Clorox toothpaste. I don't think anyone's going to buy this. Nobody wants to put bleach in their mouth, right? right. right. Um, you said Facebook. I said Facebook. You said waste of time, okay? <laughs> what if a lot of people feel as you do or associate with Facebook as... Uh, social media. Right. Well, when Facebook rebranded themselves to meta platforms, a lot of people talked about, you know, whether it was smart or not. Well, if you ask everybody what Facebook means, it is not, it does not mean what Mark's vision is for the future of the company. So, you know, there's no perfect time. You can look back in history and decide that was perfect. time. There's no perfect time to decide it's time to rebrand ourselves as a company if it doesn't align with where you're going to go uh and clearly he wants to take the company into the metaverse and and go beyond being a social networking set of platforms and people might argue and say hey dave another another reason was we was getting a lot of bad press look way too much effort went into a rebrand of a company to say it was just cost of negative press no. there was a lot more planning that went in went into this uh but that's that's the experiment that we have to go through or exercise we have to go through as marketers when we think about coming out with a new product or a company name uh, and line extension, because we need to know what's in the mind of the customer. And you talked about that earlier. And if we're going to define a new category, a brand new category, then we really have the investment, not only internally, but externally to get everybody to understand what that, what that category is. We and saw this with gender over the past 10 years. I mean, the number of different gender identifications that people can connect with um, is like nothing that we have ever seen in, in our lifetime. And so I, when I see stuff like that happen, uh, there's all these micro categories that are being created, uh, both in product and in other categories. And that's really mind blowing to see that happen. It adds a lot of confusion. Uh, and, and I don't know if we win when we do, when we do all this. And, and you brought up a point that I wanted to underscore again, which is if you jump on something that is a fad, this is expensive, yeah. you, you're making a big bet and I would not do it if there's a fad. Now, Look and at, that's why I go back to, has the fundamental underpinnings shifted of what defines a category? Meaning if it's the operating model is still the same, people are still behaving the same way. Like when, I, when I've done these category creations, this is my sixth one, wow. right? And so it started very simply with, you know, things like, broad, you know, broadband, broadband services, right? This idea of going, delivering, going from two megabits to 20 megabits to every home was 
you know, absolutely, uh, you know, just fantastical yeah. because Game people changer. were like, they were like, what would I do with 20 megabits? How would I even use it? Why do I, and then telling the telecom people, telecom yeah. networks to build out fiber to the node, fiber to the prem kind of infrastructure. Yeah. They're like, what are people going to do with it? Right. And it was kind of this, but it's this vision of how the world is going to be that is fundamentally driving this adoption. Similarly, the change from landline to mobile, mobile broadband, right? right. So this idea that mobility was such a differentiate, a, diff, a different way of operating model, it creates another big transition. And so when you go through, and also the third one was like television, right? Streaming television versus linear television. Right. I mean, that was, people are like, wait, you want to deliver HD quality video with, on YouTube quality. I mean, I mean, like what they thought about streaming was YouTube, right? And cat videos. And they were like, what? There's no way you can deliver high quality HD. People want to be able to watch movies and they want to be able to. So they'll never be able to, you'll never get there. And I think what you have to do is look at behavior, fund, whether it's consumer behavior changing, whether it's the way that enterprises are operating, whether it's social causes like your car analogy, right, that are social and, and, and uh, environmental, that are fundamentally changing the, the dynamics of the landscape. And those environments is when you have an opportunity best suited for category creation and doing something different because you're no longer operating with the same assumptions. Yeah. Right. Uh, we, we, it's, it's a fascinating field of marketing uh, and positioning around deciding this. You've, you've done it, you said five times, is yeah. created a category. You've learned a ton uh, from doing that. What, what advice would you have? Let's say someone's thinking about coming up with a new product or a, a variation of a product. Are there some things that you can say, you know, do's and don'ts, that would be some helpful <laughs> advice? Yeah, so so think really hard before you do it because it's a lot of effort and you'll you won't see the fruits of that labor for about two years. So if you this this is like a short term kind of I just need to get the board something you know, really whizzy and, and shy, bright, shiny object and and then I can be out on my way in 18 months to two years to another job. Uh, you know, it's just, you have to have the fortitude and the commitment to go see the benefits. So most of my gigs have been four or five years, you know, in it, because it takes that long. But yeah. every time I leave somewhere, it's a transformative sort of outcome because of it, right? So that's one, do you have the fortitude? Two, do you have a point of view that is powerful and compelling that you can articulate as a narrative? As a marketer, you have to have that narrative. And that narrative starts with really deep insights about the industry, about the issues, how the ecosystem is behaving, how technology is evolving. All of those things converge. And you have to be able to piece all those together and predict the future, if you will, in a way. Third item is you have to have the support of your CEO. If And without that unequivocal backing, you, the moment the ground shakes under you, because it will, and yeah. people are sales, sales will come back and say, you're talking about something my customers are not at all asking about. Why are we not marketing this same old thing that our competitors are doing? Why are we wasting our money on this new stuff? And it's very easy to pull the plug yeah. and say, nope, we're, we're out. We, we got to go back because this is not providing results. Um, so I think you have to have a you know, these kind of things in place and, and it can be transformative and powerful, but it's not for the faint of heart. But I think that's meaningful work. You know, when you want to look back at your career and say, 
Hmm. I, I helped usher the advent of broadband to every home at 20 megabits. You know, I helped deliver bro mobile broadband to everyone so that it made it uh, streaming video. Everyone takes it for granted today. Oh my God. It was not a great, it was, no. nobody wanted to buy into it. No. Like, what the hell are you talking about? No. Right. Cloud computing wasn't, you know, like what you yeah. wanted to like move my applications and infrastructure into the cloud. So these are all things that require big bets, yeah. but they're worth it as part of your legacy. Yeah. And Salesforce was a great example of like the original logo of, uh, was the Ghostbusters, no software. You know, they created a logo to really message, uh, this is no software. There's no software to install. And yet it's it's absolutely software. It's just in the cloud, but to really reinforce their message. And, you know, now we remember how many IT departments, well, there's no way we will, we will never, never operate applications that run in the cloud. We are going to have everything on prem. I love what I love when people make those really bold statements that they're never going to do something. And yet an entire industry is created. Yeah, you know? It's all good reasons, right? You might say it's regulatory, it's security, yeah. it's, you know, I, I latency. I mean, that was one of the biggest things, latency. How mm -hmm. would you overcome that? You right. have, you know, delays yeah. and unpredictability, all those kind of things. I just, I have, a, I'm a bank. I can't yeah. do that stuff yeah. like with sitting in the cloud. Right. Yeah. So, Cryptocurrency, anyway. a new category of currency. Right. right. And right. and and so what I what I would say to folks when you're thinking about, you know, launching or, or coming up with a, a new company uh, is think about start off with what's in the mind of the, the consumers out there. Right. Are you jumping on a category that has a favorable uh, market momentum? Is it a fad? Is it a is it a little trend um, or are you jumping into a category if you were coming out with electric car, you don't necessarily want to say we're not an electric car. We are a, a, a lipolymer uh, powered engine. Well, that's a battery, right? Yeah. So so you're an electric car. Well, we're a lipolymer electric car, which is a very high out. You know, you could get really clever and find out that your salespeople who are telling you this is a problem. They might yeah. be right. Like, right. you know, we, we do want to simplify our stories in marketing, but you want to position yourself at a category ideally where the market is excited about that entrance. I did, uh, you, do you remember PC Anywhere back oh, in the yeah. day? So PC Anywhere was like the de facto from Semantic, I believe, yeah. was the de facto remote control software. The next category leader was a product called Laplink. And mm -hmm. PC Anywhere had a positioning uh, and then Laplink went after the kind of the laptop desktop market and we were the very first remote control software that worked over a TCP IP network. Mm -hmm. And I could have easily said the first TCP IP based remote control software. And people would have gone like, I have no idea what you're talking about or why that matters, right? So we were the first help desk remote control software. Now, could you use PC Anywhere or Laplink for applications like that? You could, but by us saying we're the first remote control software designed for the help desk, and we we're selling to IT, they're like, tell us more. And, you know, user management and configuration and deployment. So it, it is really powerful when it's when it's done right and you become the category creator and you can crush it. But to your point, very expensive. Sometimes line extension uh, is the right thing uh, to do. And we're seeing so, I would say one advice I'd have to marketers is there are so many releases of software these days. If you're in the software marketing business, you know, every single version, and there's the release notes that come out, really think about that because um, it, it can become white noise to your customer base where they will just miss what the big release is. So don't forget that 
you know, we used to have version 1.0, version 2.0, version 3.0, and there was so much around um, when to say something has changed left of the decimal, which can, you know, the connotation was this is a major release. Yeah. And so let's not forget that our customers need reasons to get excited about these new platforms. It's with a reason iPhone has a new model number, the 12, the 13, every single time, because they really want the market to pay attention to what this new phone has. It's not a, just a, a derivative like the SE. You're not as excited about it because it's not a new number. So it's just a permutation or a line extension of the product. Right. When, uh, is is the is the platform launched? Is it out there? Where are you in this in the life cycle of the platform? Yeah, no, it is. It's um, you know we we play in a space called AI ops, and uh, and so for us, um, we've been you know when I came on board, we launched it essentially a year into joining, and now you know to just talk about it like AI ops is now a thing it's what the entire industry now we've got a 30 billion dollar industry talking about AI ops as the end game and uh, when I started AI ops was one little research note from Gartner that basically said we think it's kind of this AI and analytics applied to operations and yeah it kind of has you know it's it's aspirational but then we kind of built all of this around it. And now we have, uh, we're, we're a leader for two years running in the Forrester Wave for AI ops. Um, we're one of three companies that are in that position. And uh, we, we punch way above our, our weight in terms of the competitors that we have in the space, including Splunk and Cisco App Dynamics and ServiceNow and all these other companies. Um, so that's the benefit of creating a category. Yeah. You get to set the tone. You yeah. get to define what how the category is evaluated and what are the 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 core sort of uh, where the weight is placed because mm -hmm. in some you know it's weighting, right? Not everyone has all equal parts. Some people are more heavily weighted in this part of the the, the solution versus that. And yeah. so how do you create value to be put on that where you're strong? Yeah. And it's because you have a particular point of view. You believe that is where the real difference and value is generated. And therefore, it's good for the industry and good for the customer. And hopefully others will see it that way. And therefore, you you know, you are elevated because yeah. of it. So I think it's it's doing great. We we uh, but it's not for the faint of heart, but when done well, you can truly dominate and you can yeah. create tremendous value for the enterprise. It's a uh, little little piece of, of reward for us. Every single one of those companies that you've mentioned is either a client or a client that we've worked with. And what's in common with all of you is the level of leadership and passion that the marketing team has for going and, and you know, try, trying to really crush it. And every one of these companies has been successful in its own right. And you compete against one another and yet you're building a category I remember when we uh, created DemandGen, now part of BDO Digital, and I was the very first professional services company for marketing automation systems. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just creating that category that people would ask me, what are you? And I said, oh, I run an agency. And they go, oh, so you do creative. No, right. actually, I don't, don't do creative at all. Yeah. Um, so agency is <laughs> the wrong word because like our little word game before, that's, right. that's it, what that means. A uh, we're a firm and, and you and I both know Greg Carver very well uh, on my team. And, and Greg hates the word firm for whatever reasons. <laughs> I don't know why he hates it, but you know, he's like, we can't call ourselves a firm. We're not a firm. That's like a law firm or something else. And so, you know, just, just your own 
it's so interesting how internally those voices you have of yeah. of calling yourself something and defining uh, stuff but the marketing teams all oh, you guys have done a phenomenal job um, yeah, and we we david we believe what we do matters and yeah. i can say this of my competitors and our colleagues um, we believe that our work matters because the way we live, work, play, educate, govern, all is running and, and supported because of the digital tools that we're building. Because we can't do this yeah. if we don't have the right digital tools to know that the employee experience, the customer experience is actually delivering what we said we were going to do. Yeah. And, how, and so, so that's why we're passionate. We believe that you know, during the pandemic, the world would have shut down if it wasn't for people like our organizations shoring up the scale out of remote workers, the scale out of cloud systems, the scale out of, you know, being able to deliver security and all these other yeah. things in ways that we weren't imagined to do it. So, so it matters. The world runs on it. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back on the program and, and speaking about one of your passions. I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. May, maybe there's a book in your future, at least some, some talks where you really take all these experiences and and bring it and distill it down into some some really sage advice because this it's very very hard and very costly to create a new category and any shortcuts people can get from you if you guys are not connected to merely uh i'll spell his name for you in case you don't see it in the notes or on the screen it's m-u-r-a-l-i and namani is n-e-m-a-n-i uh connect with him on linkedin if you're not already always encourage you guys to connect with the guests it's a small world and, and we need each other and none of us are smarter than all of us, as I like to say. So thank you, my friend, for, for joining me again. And uh, you guys stick around. I just want to tell you, uh, we're, we're coming up on, uh, this year we'll hit, what, 200, no, 300 episodes. And there's a lot of great advice that are in tucked in these episodes, even some of the ones you go way back on. And I encourage you guys to just scroll through, whether you're on the YouTube channel or in the podcast app, scroll through and find some content that can really, uh, you know, take a particular topic. If you are struggling with something or working on something and you want some advice, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I can connect you to people in my network or me or my team. Let's get you some help. It, marketing is a hard job, very hard job, hardest field, uh, one of the hardest fields, I think, uh, you know, in, in corporate America these days. Uh, because of how many different dimensions to it. I got a great podcast coming up for you guys on the metaverse and how marketing will play a role uh, in the metaverse. And I really encourage you guys to give me your feedback on that episode when you listen to it and love to hear your comments and 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 feedback on today's episode. Have you created a category ever? Have you ever done a line extension? What worked, what didn't? Drop some comments if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, or if not, hit me up on LinkedIn. All right, you guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 